1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. What? A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. Order. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order! Well, it's great to be here again, and I think this is officially now, as people are listening to this, 2021. Amen, 2021. The calendar has turned. <laughs> it has. It is the new year. We don't know what the year will hold, though. We definitely so don't know what the year like will hold, because be we're still in 2020. Um, Allison is here. Yes. Hello, hello to you. And we're joined um, this afternoon by someone that is uh, becoming a good friend of ours uh, named Kurt Allison. I'll let you know a little bit about Kurt and then we'll uh, dive right into the conversation. Kurt grew up in North Carolina in a fundamentalist Baptist church. We'll ask what that means later. Uh, he was a church geek in his own words, attended Christian school, so church and Christian school, and went to at least three church services during each week. Uh, and looked forward to the week-long revival services throughout the year. He attended Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina for three semesters, and ultimately he graduated from Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina with a piano performance degree. He also graduated from Oral Roberts University Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Kurt was here in Vancouver, fell in love with Va Vancouver after a trip, and he and his partner immigrated here in 1998 and haven't looked back since. He is ordained by the United Church of Canada, at, that happened in 2018, and serves as Minister of Outreach at St. Andrew's Wesley United Church uh, in downtown Vancouver. He also owns and operates uh, Express Employment Professionals, a recruitment and staffing firm. Uh, in his spare time... How does he have spare time? I don't know how he has I spare time. I don't know, time. this is like, yeah. Because he's a church, like a pastor, a minister, and then he runs Business a recruiting owner? firm. Yeah. yeah. So, so what? So but what I can tell he you, what he does in his spare time is he's a freelance musician. He's a lover of yoga, and I think also, I think I assume he does yoga, as well uh, as loves it. Well, and uh, we, he can tell us that. And a, and U.S. college football and March Madness uh, basketball. It's a lot of Americans. He's fall from the in United love States. The Kurt, welcome. Sports. Yes, welcome. Great Kurt. to have you here. <laughs> oh, good to be here. Yes, That's my American background is showing i'll admit <laughs> that's okay Kurt. so how long have You're you lived in vancouver here. 98 you said yes so that's what 22 years really wow oh yes God. yeah is it does it doesn't feel that long it uh, it just feels great like it feels uh, david and i my partner we always say like we feel like we were we were uh, west coasters who finally kind of found our way home so where's david uh, from he's from oklahoma okay. so that's where we met in oklahoma so, and um, North Carolina, so yeah, so we kept going westward, and, and now we, we just don't make what we're doing. say, how did you end up in Vancouver? So uh, David came uh, first at uh, Expo 86. That's when he first came it's and loved it and uh, loved the Northwest, always kind of was drawn to Seattle, and then kept coming back to visit. And then when we started dating, he brought me up here, uh, and I'd always, always been curious about the 
Seattle and Washington and, and, and even BC. And so the first time I came to Vancouver, it just felt like the promised land. Yeah. It was like, we are home. We are here. Let's just move here. <laughs> like crazy enough to just do that. And so for us, it was a true example of finding out where you want to live and then kind of scratching mm. your head and thinking, how can we make this happen? And so I was working for the head of office of the Express company, which is headquartered in Oklahoma City, and um, had been thinking about, I like this industry, and I like this, maybe I should own an office one day, and then it was sort of the perfect storm, I knew the Canadian connections here, mm -hmm. and so that's sort of how we were able to, to move here, was we got in as in, on the point system, but we had a franchise agreement that we could open. Oh, very cool. Uh, location. Now, it's cool. Of, been, do you have a particular like industry you're recruiting for, or... Um, we're, it's more uh, locational in terms of the area. So my territory is Coquitlam, Port Coquitlam, Port Moody, Tri-City area, okay. that area. So really it's any company within those areas that oh, wow. need either temporary or oh, okay. permanent full placements. Okay. Accounting, administrative, labor, sales, those are our main areas. Yeah. Now, so now I'm just going to keep asking business questions and nobody will listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, uh is it how do you feel the relation between uh your work at the church and the recruitment stuff you do are you, do you feel pulled in different directions or i think they both speak to each other um i think you know sometimes the church could do well to be a little more business like in their organization and administration um you know uh, always looking for great people so that's that's kind of in both but then also really kind of having a second bottom line, I guess you can say, in your business world, that's the influence the church brings in, which is not only uh, the financial, but also the uh, humanitarian, that they're people. These yeah. are people that you're working with. They're not just, you know, placements, but they mm -hmm. have families, they have stories, they have lives. And so I think both can can intersect with each other and inform and make the other better. I, there was one point where I really pushed it a bit, um, and I would... <laughs> Before our sales meetings, I would light a candle. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, is that you? And you're not doing. I like that. They're, that's a past tense thing. Yeah, they tried that right. at church for you a while too, lighting candles. That. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Now, it went it, well, and I was trying to make it very, you know, non-sectarian because I know all about HR. You know, uh, it yeah. can be whatever you want it to be. It can be a reminder of the greater good we're doing. It can be the beauty of it. It can calm you oh, in the midst, of, you know. But it was it kind yeah. of went over well for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Just not all the time. <laughs> the uh, now I would imagine the uh, COVID time has impacted that work a fair bit, or no? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have come out of it pretty well. I mean, we're off obviously from last year, but it could have been a lot worse. Um, the clients that for a while, the clients that were using us were really essential services. And so our client oh, wow. count dropped a lot, yeah. but then through summer built up again and fall has been pretty good. So we're, we're actually going into 2021 okay. Um, you know, some, mm -hmm. some sectors are still low, but it could have been a lot worse. So I'm very grateful oh, for the here. support the government's provided for yeah. a good team that stuck together. Um, you know, it's just been a, yeah. it could have been a lot worse and I recognize that and I'm very grateful. Uh, glad to hear it. So from, from the current context, we're going to go way back now and, uh, tell us about, because even from just your, your bio that we read, um, there's a number of interesting things in, in there. Anybody who went to Bob Jones University and Oral Roberts University, I'm not saying I'd be interested in talking to everybody who shares that, but I think there's going to be something interesting there. Anyway, tell us about your growing up. You said you went to a fundamentalist 
fundamental fundamentalist church or something like that. <laughs> we are, the uh, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist, IFB, is the official. Fundamentalist was in the name? Oh, my gosh. At- Fundamentalist was actually in their denominational name. Well, it was a non. We were non-denominational. Okay. We prided ourselves on that, so we were all independent churches. But you know, you have other churches that are supposedly independent, who kind of get together and support each other and yeah. have camp. That's a denomination, really. But we didn't call yeah. it that. Of course, so, you were non-denominational. Was, right. Of course, <laughs> and we were definitely not part of the heretical Southern Baptist Convention. We were to the right. Right. As most it. people might like you actually, find that themselves. was kind of a point of of identity or yeah <laughs> use the word and, pride and point of we're really making God really happy by not being a part of the SBC so that it was a little bit of that yeah we were really conservative very um, you know literal a lot of the literal seven day creation literal inspiration of scripture. Um, you know, pretty much would come short of saying that unless you're a fundamentalist Baptist, you're probably not a real Christian. Or if you are, you're not really living a committed life. But wow. if you come to our church and follow kind of what we believe, oh, how convenient. You know, you're right in the center of God's will. So that that was that was the comfort. That was the security that we had. Um, and And so the fact that most churches we felt were not, you know, really following the path that they should, not not interpreting, not living by the Bible. That was almost a badge of honor, um, you know, mm-hmm. and and so that's how we grew up, um, very much that way. The Christian school reinforced that, you know, as you can tell by my bio, the there to, to, to the church services on the three, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I loved revivals. I was weird, I know. I loved revivals. So you were really into this. You were into this as... I was into it. Like, some of my friends now that, you know, I talked to who were part of that either don't really believe at all or said, you know, I was just kind of always questioned some Mm -hmm. things, but you can't really question things. Not me. Sign me up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You know, I had my ticket punched on my way to heaven and knew it. So I was, like, good to go. And... So that's what led to Bob Jones University. That was the natural next step because it was a fundamentalist school and um, very similar to, to the church I grew up in. Uh, some of the staff were BJU graduates. So it just, I wanted to go there. So for me, it was great. <laughs> but now Bob Jones is, is an institution that not that long ago where it's like into segregation and even yes. racial policy, right? Okay, so we're talking very, very conservative. Very conservative. And in fact, I was there... I was my first year, my freshman year, where the court, the the Supreme Court case that was um, about revoking their tax status right. due to their, mm. um, you know, prohibiting interracial dating, that decision came down and Bob Jones lost. And so I remember the day they announced that in chapel, uh, you know, and so I was there when that when that happened. What was that like? What was the feeling in the room like? Were people upset about it or were there students who were actually happy that finally maybe there had been some movement on that or? Um, it was more of, again, dark times. Mm. The end time is here. This is an example. See, you know, so again, it's almost it, for me, I'll speak for myself. It was almost good that they came against us because that made us more yeah. fundamentalist. Mm, <laughs> you know, it, it, proves, it proves it. Yeah. It proves it. Yes. Yes. So opposition proves your, how right you are. 
exactly exactly so that was yeah so it was uh you know praying and concern and all that but it, at the same time it was almost what do you expect in these dark times so it was very much mm-hmm. that kind of the world out there and and then the the remnant the chosen ones in here and and so that was sort of the mindset and you were there for three semesters is that you said yes i was there for three semesters and the reason i well yeah, well, actually, it is the reason I, I started questioning. See, I'd never done that. Ooh. But my my parents became Southern Baptists. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Liberals. Throw you to the exactly. left. <laughs> Slippery slope. And so um, they they joined the church, and I, I just, I don't know. I wasn't sure. You know, I was kind of curious, but I wasn't sure. So that summer, after my first year, I went home, and I started attending their church. Um. And I don't know what I was expecting, like human sacrifices at the altar. I don't know what it was I was expecting, but I, I remember going there and just thinking, wow, this is like, they're kind of committed and they sing the same hymns we sing. And so they weren't the heretics you've this. been taught to, to believe they right. were. Right. I was like, I was ready for some good old heresy, you know, and nothing. It was just very moving. And so I kept going back and going back and then, I think through that influence, I began to sort of shed some of my fundamentalist mm. outlooks. I mean, I was still going back to so Bob you, Jones, this but still, I, I mean, it's still wanted, interesting. You shed some of your fundamentalist outlook by going I to the Southern going to Baptist movies. Church. <laughs> you sorry, you what? I went to movies. Yeah, okay. I, I grew my hair out, so it touched my ear. Um, I remember the conversation I had with a friend where I actually thought – I remember this clear as day. I actually thought that it might be okay to dance, but I wasn't sure, but I was entertaining the idea that it might be okay to dance. That's how restrictive it was. So for me, that was that was the you know movement forward towards a more open kind of understanding of, of wow. God and, and hmm. spirituality. Those little things. Now, Very big for me. Now, clearly clearly from from some of our our conversations and dialogue back and forth you you seem like you're you're in a bit of a different place now you know like um <laughs> ordained in the united church that that's that's a little left of of southern baptists how how did you end up where you are now like that that's a lot of yeah. steps between a and b there yeah and i and i want to be careful i it, that i really you know I've been, I've, I wasn't always in this space, but I've come to a place a while, for a while now where I really honor my, my childhood faith. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, it gave me a love of scripture. Um, it, it really fostered a relationship with God. I mean, it was so many things wrong with that, you know, and how you live that out. But there, you know, the, the importance of community, um, um, you know, those things are really, and it kind of fanned in the flame as the New Testament talks about Timothy fanning into flame your faith. It really did that. And so I, you know, I, I, I can get, oh, I can go for days about all the craziness about it. And obviously I'm not there anymore, but I, I, I want to, you know, honor that yeah. part of my spiritual life for sure. Um, so for me, I think leaving Bob Jones was a, a movement toward where I'm at now, um, uh, I do remember I went to a state university, which was very nerve wracking for me because, again, the world, like secular, yeah. them, yeah. They, yeah, secular. So, but I went there, and I, and by that time, I was going to a Southern Baptist church, um, and so I was pretty comfortable in that. So, I went to the state university, and they had a Baptist student union, and so in that group, I really began to loosen up a lot, you know, theologically, still conservative for sure, but not fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. I was, I was making a journey. 
And um, also <laughs> a funny story. Socially, I remember this very clearly at the Baptist Student Union. I remember encountering someone who was Democrat and a committed Christian. Uh, no. And I did not think that Blow your was mind. Possible. Yeah. It did, because she was wearing a Jim Hunt. He was running for governor or something back in the, these are the 80s. Yeah. And she had a Jim Hunt button, and that, he was Democrat. And I just remember, what? <laughs> Again, another one of those times. And so it was little encounters like that. And so um, by the time I was, my second, my third and fourth year of university, I felt like I wanted a little zip to my faith. Like I, you know, I was away from some of the fundamentalist um, views and approaches to life. I was a lot, way more open than I used to be. So I decided I'm going to visit a charismatic church just to see what happens. Well, again, like I was hooked in my fundamentalism, I was hooked when I went to that church. Talk about embodied spirituality. Mm -hmm. You felt the spirit. You had a band, a live band, fun songs. People were very much, it was very, uh, you know, uh, involved, not just head, but your body and your mm -hmm. singing and very, very feel, you know, uh, the spirit, the presence. And I just remember I was so moved by that. And again, love the preaching. So uh, another one of my, you know, misconceptions was, was destroyed. So I started going to that church and became really committed to that. And that's what led me to Oral Roberts University, which was, you know, uh, a, a charismatic seminary, because I had that, I was coming from that background. And I wanted, to, I, I felt a call to ministry and I wanted to go to a seminary that was credible and charismatic. I read that somewhere and I love that. And so Oral Roberts University is accredited. It's accredited yeah. by the same accrediting agency as Vancouver School of Theology. Um, so there is a level of scholarship yeah. in their teaching, very evangelical and charismatic for sure, more on the conservative end, but it's, you know, I didn't want to go to Bob's break shop in Bible college. Right. I, I, I wanted to go somewhere where there was, there was, there was a credibility there and, and it had a good music program. So, mm. and it was charismatic. And so I went there and that's what brought me to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so you can see, I keep moving slowly. It's almost like very much um, metaphorically, I'm moving, you know, from the East Carolinas right. <laughs> to, to, the the, to the West and along the journey. I, I keep shedding a lot of the restrictions that I had. Um, and, and so I'll speed up. I basically was, was ordained initially in a charismatic church, my first uh, church okay. outside of seminary. I was doing music. It was in Oklahoma City area, Norman, right outside Oklahoma City, and was doing work there in a church. And, of course, I haven't even brought up the whole sexuality thing. Right. That was all simmering underneath the surface throughout this whole time. Um, but I... I essentially, we can go back and unpack some of this if you want, but I was at this church, felt like I needed to deal with my sexuality, started going to an Exodus ex-gay ministry for a while. I went to that for over a year. I was married. Um, we split. I moved into Oklahoma City and then left the ex-gay ministry after a while when I was sure it wasn't working. And I was on my last leg, and I found this amazing United Methodist Church. That was LGBTQ affirming that welcomed me in and I kind of put back my life together. And so the United Church of Canada, one of the three streams that make up the United Church is the United Methodist Church. Yeah. So there was some new United Church of Canada flavor in that yeah. church. And so I was involved in that church and that was right before we moved to Vancouver. And so when I came to Vancouver, I had already decided I was going to go to a United uh, Church of Canada congregation. So that's 
there's a lot of steps between there, but I, I get it's, it. It's such, it's such an amazing story. And, and, you know, I think one of the things for us to remember as we hear it is that this whole time you are a person, a young man growing up through this, having been told in all, in so many of those places, um, what's acceptable and what's not, who's acceptable and who's not. And so you kind of gave us the geography theologically and, and geographically, but there, there is this spiritual geography and also in terms of your own identity and sexuality that you're going through at the same time. Um, what I, I'm trying to get to, you know, these places where you, you must have had points in that where you thought or where it was in your mind that, oh, I've been told these people are not acceptable or they're somehow less than or and then you realize to some degree i'm in that i'm in that grouping what do you what do you do with that how you know so you talk about being part of exodus and then not um mm -hmm. tell us about how that feels what that's like yeah i mean you know when i left fundamentalism to southern baptist that was one of those oh no i'm now you know associating with, with the other wow. them um uh and then to a lesser degree, the charismatic church, it wasn't quite so bad as far as, right. um, you know, it was a little more of a theological yeah. question about tongues and all that stuff. Um, the big one was the c coming out, yeah. uh, obviously. Um, and um, when I was the next gay, you know, it, I just, about six months into it, I just felt like, I just don't think this is working. And I wasn't expecting a, a, a dramatic change, but I do remember giving in another six months. And so I was in, I was in it probably over, a little over a year. And I remember the night I left it, I was just in tears because I, this was my hope. This was my last hope um, to, to work it out. And when I didn't have a plan B, this was it. And so when I realized that I'm just not going to change and I'm not sure what to do with this, then um, I was in a really bad spot. And that's why that church, the United Methodist Church, Epworth, mm -hmm. United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City, um, took me in and, provided a context for me to work out my faith. So in, your question is, yes, many times I would have literally dark night of the soul. Yeah. <laughs> in the evening, I would just, it, it, it would be, it would almost be like a, a feeling of just immediate fear of, oh my God, I am so deceived and I am on the path to destruction. Like I just, it would just be this mm. horrible. And, and I remember being, you know, just kind of sitting with it and fearful, but you know, there would be something from the church service, yeah. that, that United Methodist Church, or a conversation with Christian people that were gay, that I didn't believe you could really be, that would come in and counteract that fear. Um, and it would just remind me, kind of hold up a, a new model, a new way. And there would be in that an encouragement of keep on going, hang in there, keep asking the questions, keep seeking, keep an open mind. I, I don't know where that came from. I, I attribute it to grace. That's the only sure. thing I can think of. I attribute it to the Spirit of God. Um, because, you know, if you just look at it strictly um, as a, a series of events, I, I would have been just a tortured soul. But it was that church. And, and that's why I'm so big on the community. Because I, if I had tried to do this alone and not found a church, I, I don't know what I'd be doing right now, honestly. Because those nights, those dark nights of the soul were countered by something I heard as a fresh word in this new community right. that I was kind of dipping my toe in that's, to try out. That's so great to hear. I love the way you put that because you you place against the 
darkness of those negative feelings, that there was something positive and hopeful. And that in, in your particular case, this was coming from a place of faith as well. Because I think right. I can imagine that, you know, you have this you, this wrestling, like, oh, I'm so deceived, or I'm so, you know, or, or this is how, that you, you were given a faith, which you've said, and I'm grateful for this, that you are grateful for. Um, but part of that, and I under, I know this as well, is that you're given all the litmus test stuff with that. And so you, you find yourself in this new community, and even though they're embracing you and loving you and opening these new doors, there there are probably, I'm, I think from what you said, in your mind this, I don't know if I can really trust these people. Uh, like, are they, yeah. are, they, are they truly Christian? And, you know, our listeners, many of them have come from these kinds of contexts where uh, there is that pull, that desire, I would even say it's a, a Christ-likeness to want to love people and accept people. But there is this, well, but we've been told we can't go down this road. We can't. Mm -hmm. um, and so to hear from somebody who has this actual experience of working in this and yet speaks so well uh, or so positively of, of your past as well. Uh, what about the people um, that you grew up among and even now you'd go a generation up or, or two? Um, you must still have some of the residue of this where there must be some people, and I don't certainly don't mean to speak ill of them or whatever, who it's actually a sympathetic feeling or, or you know, a loving feeling, I suppose, who you present a challenge to. Like mm -hmm. you, you can't pass a, possibly be a pastor working at a church, you know, caring for the mm -hmm. things of Jesus Christ because there's this one glaring thing. How do you emotionally um, deal with that or even conversationally if you happen to ever be speaking with them, whatever? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of, I guess I, I, I kind of remember what impacted me to st continue on this path of, 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 of a new way of being Christian. Because um, you mentioned, you know, that litmus test. And also, while I was in this wonderful United Methodist Church, so much of it was exactly what they warned me about. Exactly. You know, and so that's <laughs> going on yeah. in, the, in the back of your mind. As are you really a Christian? Is yeah. this are we deceiving ourselves? Are we, you know, all that same kind of stuff. But it was, mm. you know, again, it goes back to so much simplicity in the scripture is the by their fruits you shall know them. And I could not deny that the spirit of God in Christ was in this church. Yeah. That, that, that the spirit of Christ was in this congregation. Um, that same warmth that John Wesley talked about, a, a strange warming uh, that was there that I had in my growing up, you know. Uh, youth camps in my fundamentalist church, that same warmth um, that I would experience where he's like, this is God. The same thing was happening there. Um, you know, the, 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 the portrayal of, of LGBTQ people that I told about, I didn't see that here in their, in their, in their lives and their families in the conversations. Um, and so it was that fruit bearing, I guess you can say that sort of superseded and maybe, exceeded over that question about the litmus test and, oh my God, look at this, mm -hmm. I'm deceived and all that. So I kind of use that same approach when I'm talking to people who, mm -hmm. from my past, who, yeah, are not sure about this, or even not from my past directly, but that same sort of a mm -hmm. theological mindset, um, is I just I just live my life, speak my truth, um, and, and, and really know that a lot of times it's that life, your life, your example, the, 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 the conversations, the, the heart connections that happen that cut through all the theological questions and all the, all the things mm -hmm. that, that can be used to keep people apart. So I really try to emphasize that. Um, and the, 
and I also look at their lives and see them as my brother and sister and kindred, mm. even though I may disagree with them so mm. much politically, theologically, um, you know, even angry about treatment of LGBTQ people. Um, but I, I see, I, I, I work to see that in the yoga tradition, there's, it's, there's a, a calling called the inner light of awareness. And it's that inside, there might be a lot of crap on the outside, a lot of stuff that we deal with, but inside there's an inner light of awareness. Um, and so I see that inner light of awareness in everyone I talk to, mm-hmm. to help sort of ground me and, and to also really relate to them as a fellow uh, Christian, mm-hmm. in, in a case of I'm talking to someone from the faith, or, or just their humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's, I'm saying this like I got it down. It's very easier said than done. And getting the heat of an argument and that right. inner light of awareness. Goes out. It's asp- but it's aspirational as well as something that you yeah yeah and it does it does help me to um, really relate to them as best I can even though I just can't stand what you believe and can you believe I, I don't understand how you believe that and all the way you treat LGBTQ people do you not see it all those things they're there and they're worth talking about and the work of justice calls us to confront those I just keep it in that sort of the fruits, because that's what kept me in that church by, I could not deny that I saw Christ, I saw Jesus, and I saw the Spirit at work. That was exactly what I grew up with, yeah. you know, and, and it was powerful. So would you think that, that I mean, I know, I know um, several several people that, that do struggle with, can, can we really accept gay, lesbian, bi, transgender, um, people in the church, like, and they, they want to, but they, they struggle with it. Is, because the Bible says. Something? Yeah. Is, is one of, you think, like the first steps towards actually having exposure to people that are in those communities, that are those communities? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like, as you're saying, like, when you actually see people and you get to know them and you get, like, all the things that you were told about them, you go, that, that's not actually who they are. Right. Agreed. You know, I think any good theology has to be done in the context of relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just looking to get some sort of, you know, we call them the six, the, the clobber passages, yeah. mm-hmm. the six Bible verses that were clobbered at gay people, you know, still the are. Genesis, still are, right? the Sarah, uh, yeah. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Romans, I know them all, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they, <laughs> they Do were you? clobbered. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, but when you break bread with someone, mm-hmm. um, when you, you know, share your life and when you engage in conversation and you engage in connection and, and um, worship together or, or at least just be together, I think that provides the fertile ground, the, 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 the context from which you can then have those theological discussions. I mean, I, I'm all, I love theology. I'm still a theology mm-hmm. nerd. Um, and so all those questions I had about the Bible that I had to work through, hmm. I did it, but it was in a different way. It wasn't just going to a seminar and having a PowerPoint presentation right. and mm-hmm. here's your, here's what you do. It was living in that church, being in that church for four years and having my heart melted by these faithful, wonderful people. Um, you know, and I'm reminded of the story of the Emmaus Road. It was in the breaking of the bread that they saw him. Hmm. And the breaking of the bread is when you saw, hmm. they saw Jesus and realized who it was. And I think it's the same kind of sort of principle in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of a life and the engaging with one another. And for me as well, you know, for, sure. to, to see the political conservatives that just drive me up the wall, I, I need to break bread with them. 
you know, and see them as well. And I think that's the context that you can then begin having the theological and biblical discussions around it. So it's not a way to overlook it. It's just, I think it's cart before the horse, and I think it's the fertile ground from which those conversations can arise. You must feel it, um, you know, your your home country, the United States right now, being so polarized politically. And when mm-hmm. you look at the landscape there in terms of Christian faith, and you see, you know, a number of the people that are denying, you know, Biden actually being president-elect or these things that— um, and and that you know that evangelical base, which would be your your background there. You know these people. Mm-hmm. You you know that that they have equated um, you know fidelity to the Republican Party and particularly to Donald Trump with their with their faith as as a, as an article of faith. And that if you look back, I, I mean, I think we can say this that the genesis of some of that from the church's perspective, not the political perspective as much, but from the church's perspective is particularly around these issues, uh, homosexuality and abortion or something, right? These, this mm-hmm. is where we're going to draw the line. The Bible says this. It's so clear uh, in that way of reading Scripture. Um, and that that has led to some of the things we're seeing now. And they're still kind of, you know, it, you can only interpret it this way. One of the things that I've wrestled with in my Christian faith is knowing the Bible as well and being a theology nerd myself is that I realized fairly early on that, you know, the Bible is clear argument is only in the things that you want to say that about. They say those six clobber verses, I know them as well. I would argue that they're misinterpreted to be used as clobber verses. They're not about mm-hmm. what, what, you know, we what people say they're about. Um, right. But that okay for those the Bible is clear, but for things like you should give all you have to the poor, or you <laughs> that should one you know, don't tend to take or literally. share you know no, <laughs> nobody should own anything you know there's not a lot of that from the evangelical church in the United States yeah. right so you must have seen this as you're theologically moving along as well that wait a minute mm-hmm. so what about the positive nature of that you've talked about some of the struggling like you know sitting mm-hmm. in the dark night of the soul stuff but there's also those moments where the light goes on theologically and you're like wait a minute. <laughs> This is better. This yeah. is more Christ-like. This is more biblical. This mm-hmm. is more. Tell us about some of those things or how that feels. Yeah, no, it was. Um, I, I think first of all, coming out of a literal mindset, free the Bible. Literalism um, can just kill, and that's all I was brought up with, of course. And um, even as an evangelical, um, was still more conservative maybe not a literalist anymore, wasn't verbal preliminary anymore, but I was, you know, uh, still that way. But when I, I remember in that church, see, so much of that went back to the church. That's where I got to see another model, talk about a positive. Mm. And I remember a guy who's, who's gay, he was actually a United Methodist Church minister who had to step down because he came out. It was very sad. This was back in the 90s, we're talking. But he said something to me once, he goes, Kurt, there's a big difference between fact and truth. Something may or may not be factual, mm-hmm. but there's always a truth there. And that mm-hmm. was the that was a big unlocking and delinking of l- literalism with proper biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. The, the questions of factuality in the Bible, the stories, it may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's not, but not saying that it is. But it doesn't matter. It there's a true what's the truth there? What's the timeless mm-hmm. truth that we can then take and extrapolate and, and live out in our in our culture? Um, and so that was a big mm. burden lifted and just almost like I had never heard the Bible before. And it was like a fresh new book for me to look at, new lies, hearing with new ears um, and, and, and letting it really come alive. So I remember that fact versus truth that something may or may not be factual. It wasn't saying it's not, just a begin yeah, to think, wonder. 
I but think it could be it's true. So what's the truth there? And and so that was a big, j- just joyous moment. Well, because you, I felt, and you're coming out of an experience where you talked about a literal seven day concept of creation and stuff where you're, you know, yeah. that, and, you know, I think we've all been on that road of like Jonah and the whale was Jonah in a whale for three days. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not even so giving familiar. an answer. I'm just asking the question. <laughs> and, and which yeah, is, right. just I think <laughs> one of the things we hold is that, or that I think often is that biblical literalism and having, you know, one of the things I picked up in studying theology was I realized there are no biblical literalists. There's only people who are literal about their particular interpretation. Because again, right. every biblical literalist so-called says, well, that's only a metaphor, you know, about how we should treat the bird, right. or we should give everything away, or we should, well, that's, uh, you know, camel through the eye of a needle or whatever. We can explain that away with, well, that's a gate yeah. to the city or whatever. So they're not taking that literally. But their particular right. interpretation of those six clobber verses, which is only their particular interpretation, there might be a history to it that I don't want to, you know, but uh, that's where the literalism stands. And so I, I don't know that, you know, that, that literalism stuff, you, we realize like, oh, and then the light can go on and there can be so much. Um, I wanted to kind of, as we kind of move to, you know, well, as 2020 ends and mm-hmm. now we're in 2021 as this is being heard, um, your experience in terms of helping others, you must have found that you've been able to help others who have been on similar journeys. I'm sure there's differences, mm-hmm. but how has that felt? It's been great. I mean, you know, I remember um, there was a, there's a, I guess the first full realization of how all the strands of my life were coming together. Um, maybe I, I thought at some point, particularly when I moved to Vancouver, that my fundamentalist background, that was just something that happened and, you know, we'll mm. chuck it up experience and move on and, you know, next kind of thing. But it wasn't until um, actually coming back around to Bob Jones University that this the strands came together. And I'll explain what I mean. I got this, this is Facebook had just got going. Um, mm. And so I got a, um, a, a message from called Opera at the Bob. That was the name of it. Opera at the Bob, B-O-B. And I was like, what is this? And so I, you know, curious, opened it up. And there were, it was a, a group of Bob Jones University alumni, some of them, which I knew, many I didn't, who were LGBTQ and had started an unofficial, of course, LGBTQ <laughs> think, yeah. Alumni Association for BJU students and, and current students. And I guess word is not, I was maybe gay. <laughs> <laughs> So there's literally somebody going through a list going, I think we should gay, send it to him. not gay, gay, not gay. Okay, send him the invite. <laughs> exactly. So, and I remember getting that and just, you know, I was intrigued. And there was a few people that I was like, I knew you were gay. <laughs> so it was fun in that sense. But we actually started. And it, to this day is continuing. I was on the board for many years, an, an, an organization. Um, and uh, that supports current students and alumni of Bob Jones people. So it was that kind of almost two worlds colliding in a sense mm-hmm. that I really began to see the, the beautiful nature of, 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 of where my life now is. And it's taking all those broken strands and strands of joy and strands of questioning and the inner lights of awarenesses and the dark nights of the soul and, mm-hmm. and really – uh, forming a beautiful tapestry of where I'm at right now. I think it's Henry Nouwen that coined the term wounded healer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really feel that with me 
because there's always going to be a degree when I hear some of the fundamentalist rhetoric, I'm a little bit, mm, I feel it still. Um, and, and I just don't think that's ever going to go away. It's, well, it's a residue. But it's also the fact that I worked so well in my own personal healing that I don't, I don't, I'm not affected by it in terms of life decisions and in terms of what I do. I recognize it. And now mm. I'm even to the point where I look at it as a gift to then help me develop greater, you know, bonds of compassion for people who are in my situation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that wounded healer status, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a wounded healer. So at our church, I'm the director and lead the, a group called The Word Is Out, which is an LGBTQ mm. group from the church. And so many came from similar backgrounds, even some from United Church, who um, right. they didn't hear the condemnation necessarily, but they still felt a little bit of that, mm, not sure I can come out or, you know, who's safe to tell my sexuality about. And, and so we work with people and, and provide a, a place where your sexuality and your spirituality can come together. And so it's that wounded healer status mm-hmm. of, of and that wounded healer sort of reality that I live into that's helped me to understand, to listen to I know where you've been, and to provide a healing place, just like that United Methodist Church, that faithful United Methodist mm-hmm. Church in Oklahoma City provided a healing space for me as well. And so that's that's kind of how it's all come together for that, me and, and reaching out and, and bringing reconciliation together. That brings up a question for me that's kind of a pastoral question. It's, it's um, something that I've felt with a number of people that I know who've come out, that, and, and I think there must be a delay, in a, in a sense, for people who, who grew up evangelical, that there, there often may be a delay in that coming out. So now you might be 30s, 40s, or so, or whatever, right. And, right. And, and you're, like, some, some people have been married, or some people, you know, that to, and, and then there is this kind of acceptance that might have maybe happened earlier had they not been part of an evangelical culture or something. Um, and the pastoral question is that, I don't know, this is more just me like, you know, sitting chatting with you not being recorded. But um, <laughs> one of the things I think I've seen in that, that I kind of wind up praying for people about and stuff is that coming out is such a big deal, which makes sense for those people. It's so momentous. But mm-hmm. afterwards is not always easy. What I mean is, I don't just mean the reaction from people, but I, even if people are loving and accepting, even some of the ones they thought might not be, that mm-hmm. that once I come out, it doesn't mean that, okay, now my life's all wonderful, <laughs> doesn't right? Fix everything? There's still loneliness. There's yeah. still difficulty. There's still mental health difficulty like anybody might have. There's still, have you mm-hmm. seen some of that? How, cause you, you're working with these people in the word is out or wherever. And, mm-hmm. and you must see some of that. Like if I can just, you know, fully embrace who I am, then everything will be okay. Yeah. And that's not always the case, right? It's a great thing, but it doesn't answer everything. Yeah, no, everybody's in different. It has different reactions, um, and I think the wounded healer. You know, mm. I it doesn't all live, we live happily ever after. It is a lot of resentment, missed, mm. you know, missed decades mm. of living a lie. Um, yeah. You know, then there is a very real exclusion or sort of you know uh, distancing of family and friends mm. once you come out and all that. So that's why the, the the work of the word is out is so vitally important. Um, is is to 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 really journey along um with them um and and i i always try to have like the right answer early mm. on to try to make it all better yeah but I've, I've learned that my work is to accompany um and and to be there and to listen and to 
hold when they're crying and to laugh when they're joined, rejoice when they get a bit of good news. You know, I'm very open about the fact that I, when I was coming out and after ex-gay, I, I was in therapy probably three years and I am not ashamed of that at all. It, it, yeah. I needed, I needed help to untangle the onion and untangle the rope and, and peel off everything and, and get to the heart and bring healing. And so, you know, sometimes people need that and, and we encourage that and help facilitate. A lot of times it's pastoral, just in the day-to-day, being there, listening. Um, and it's also in the connection. The, the word is out. I'm not alone. There's other people mm-hmm. like me. We share our stories. It's the sharing of stories, man, that can bring that mm-hmm. healing. So I, I do think it's, a, it's, it's vitally important. It goes back to me to that community. Um, I could never have done this alone because, you know, you get into a, a broader theological concept that I am one part of the fact that we're all connected and I have a, a story and the light of God shines through mm. me differently than it shines through others. And we all need to share that. And so that community can help provide, you know, what each person needs mm-hmm. as opposed to someone trying to figure out on their own. Right. And it's hard to do that because a lot of times the last community they were in, you know, they got hurt, they yeah. got excluded. And, and so it's, it's, it's providing a beacon. It's letting people know we're here. Um, I love St. Andrews Wesley uh, United Church. We're having our building renovated. I think, I don't think many of you know that. Yeah. So we're not meeting there right now. And of course we can't meet in COVID, <laughs> but when we do the, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful building, and it's big, but there's yeah. a lot of metaphor to it that I've caught. Of course, the crazy mystic always thinking that kind of stuff is that the, the church, people come in, and sometimes they just come in the back and sit, and, then, and it's so big that they can kind of be away from the main oh, crowd yeah. at the front, and then during the last hymn, they leave, and that's all they can do. <laughs> they're they're yeah. checking it out. Yeah. They're not sure. Others, they might go up midway through. You'll see them, and then they'll, they'll maybe stay to the very end and leave and then they might stay for coffee you know and and then you know you start talking and so i, I and, and then they go to the very front where you know that you're, you're ready yeah. to sign up for some kind of a study group or something like yeah. that and you go back and forth between that but i i think that's sort of for me what i try to offer for lgbtq people that are struggling and coming out and not sure what to do there's these different stations along the way that Mm. where it is is great and right where you need to be and our church and our group can provide a space for that um you're not going to try to do the old sort of you got to sign up and 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 make that big commitment no done done with those days it's about accompanying us on the journey Mm. and our journeys are so different and so i know people were there for me when I was not sure where I was going to be in the life of faith um, and how transformative that was. And so I want to provide that same openness uh, to to people and wherever you're at, doesn't matter. So good. We're here. It's um, well, we want to keep following kind of what you're doing. We're in the same city and stuff. And so as we, and I think we share, well, we share a number of hopes, right? But you bring to us such, um, uh, a gratitude for where you've come from mm-hmm. and not dehumanizing. Uh, it's something that I c- we can see it in you um, and it, it's evidence and obvious even in just brief conversations with you. Um, and there's some real hope in that. We, one of the tags that we hold with our little podcast here is uh, from a friend of ours, David Goa, who's, whose dad said, most people are better than their theology, uh, which in a way <laughs> is like saying there's an inner light um, of awareness, right? That and uh, of course, our hope is that we'll we'll move past this. We'll move past this exclusion of people, 
And I know, mm-hmm. you know, and you would be able to tell us this much more than we we know now, but there's miles and miles to go. But there mm-hmm. has been progress. And and if if some of those evangelical churches, even some people even listening to this who have been part of that, can reach across some of these divides that have been put there, and those divides are not of Christ. They are mm-hmm. not hope. They are mm-hmm. things that, that have held back our Christian faith. And so yeah. thank you so much for taking this time with us. And uh, we, wanna, we, want, we wanna have you back. We gotta hear you know, more you know, stories. I feel like there's a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'd love I to meet love you in, in non-COVID times when we can sit around, have a yeah, drink, we clearly, a lot Normally of we do, well, we might have that depending on, we, cause this show, of course, we usually have a tasting and everything else and we get, yeah, so we'll COVID. have to do that with you. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. That's what I was like. Ex- I mean, I was excited to meet you guys, but I was also like, <laughs> Oh no. The wine, it's beer. What are you- <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry. COVID. <laughs> well, we can do that even without a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we don't need a podcast for yeah. that. I always yeah. had a glass of wine with me. I was like, I don't know. Maybe I should hold on. Oh, yeah, we should have done <laughs> that. that. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank Bless you. you in your work. And uh, I mean, this is now. It's dropping in 2021, but uh, hope that Christmas is good for you and those you love. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Listen. Thank you very much. So, so glad to be here. I really appreciate it. Thank Fantastic. You.